Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. We're in a question and answer series, and the Grace Life pastoral team is answering questions you asked about God, the Bible, relationships, and everything in between. We gathered all the questions entered from our gracelife.church app and gracelife.church online form, and we had so many questions we couldn't answer them all. But we just want to say thank you to everyone who reached out with a question for us. This week, we have Jimmy Currents, our lead pastor, Kent Fancher, our Northeast Campus pastor, and Patrice Lamb, our women and family pastor at Grace Life Church, answering live from a weekend service at Grace Life. Let's get into this week's session of Q&A. As we open today, I want to make sure you're all aware we've received probably well over 200 questions. Would that that be about right? Maybe maybe more. Um, and, And so... We simply can't answer them all. Uh, if you've been here during the other two weeks, you know we're able to answer at best seven or eight questions, depending on how distracted we get and, and all kinds of things we come up with. But uh, we're, we're just not able to get to all of them, uh, as well as some of these questions we can't really answer if we're not able to talk to you, because some of them would just have so many hypothetical answers. Well, it could be this, and it could be that, and it could be that. So I just want to encourage you, if we have not talked about your question, if we haven't uh, addressed what it is you're asking, please come and make an appointment with one of us, and and, uh, we'll see if we can help that way. So again, just not enough time to do everything. So again, if this is your first Sunday here, this is our pastoral team, uh, Kent Fencher, our campus pastor, Patrice Lamb, women's pastor, I'm Jimmy, uh, lead pastor, and so we're here to uh, just see if we can make sense of anything. You think we're, are we going to have good answers today? Yes. That's the way this day is going to go. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, we're going to jump in with the first question. It actually was in week one and we didn't have time to get to it. We moved it to week two. We didn't have time to get to it. So we're going to put it first today so that we can't miss it because somebody wants to talk about demons. So, I mean, hey, what better way to try to start a church service than with demons, right? Here you go. Are y'all going to laugh with us today? Because we're, we're trying to have fun here. All right, here's the question. In Matthew 8, Jesus restores two demon-possessed men. Does this imply demons are capable of doing this today? Was this only possible because Jesus was on earth? Could it be possible today in a less dramatic way, more related to deception? This all uh, also opens the question of ghosts or orbs truly existing. The Bible mentions demons and the Holy Ghost spirit. Is there any correlation to demons' existence and ghosts? What exactly are demons? Woo, that's a mouthful. Which one of you wants to Yeehaw. talk about demons? I'll do it. Let's start with the last question. What exactly are demons? They're fallen angels. It talks about it in Revelation chapter 12, I think verse 9-ish. Did I get my notes? Yeah, 12, 9. There are other places that refer to demons. Jesus in this, actually in Matthew 8, he casts out the demon. Um, what does that mean for us? There's some questions there at the beginning. Uh, does this imply demons are capable of doing this today? And there's three or four questions right in there. Uh, yes, uh, the, devil, the devil is real, demon possession, oppression, harassment is real. We are in a spiritual war. Uh, Ephesians 6 is clear. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, right? Our, our, wrestle, our wrestling, our fight is with the spiritual warfare, is with uh, demons, spiritual authorities, and, you know, they're over cities and stuff like that. So, yes, they are real. 
um, the question that really I think I need to focus on in that whole paragraph is the Bible mentions demons and the Holy Ghost slash spirit. Is there any correlation to demons? You cannot put the Holy Spirit in the same, he's not even close. Demons and, and spirits, uh, angels, way down below, Holy Spirit's up near the, the spoons, right? There's, they didn't know those were spoons oh, up there, man. There is no comparison. And the Holy Ghost, that term sort of makes you think ghost is not, that's just a King James Version. Holy Spirit is God living with us. He's here right now. So there is no comparison, right? So yeah, we're fighting, we're wrestling, but Holy Spirit's with us. We have a, an unfair advantage. It was a joke. <laughs> it's not unfair. It's not unfair, but as far as the devil's concerned, it's unfair because <laughs> yeah. he's already lost and the one that won yeah. lives inside of us. You know, if you put that question back up, because we didn't correct anything grammar here, and I don't know who asked this, so I don't, I don't say this to pick on your grammar, but I do want to make an important point. Where Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost is all lowercase letters here. But in Scripture, that's a capital H and a capital S. Yeah. Because it's not just a spirit, it is God. It's one of his names. It is the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the reason that's important is because you wouldn't write your name with a lowercase either because you know that you are a person and you exist. And so I'm not picking on grammar as much as um, that there's a little bit of a misunderstanding on who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God, not just a good spirit kind of like casper and the devil and you know that whole kind of, yeah no not like that at all so the holy spirit lives in us today um here, here's what i want to add to that it was a great answer uh my experience uh with especially americans westerners is we have one of two extremes when it comes to viewing uh the demonic when it comes to viewing god angels satan and all of that spiritual realm uh, the first extreme is that we're fascinated with it, and we just think it's awesome, and we give way too much credit to the enemy, and we actually uh, put them on the same plane. Like, here's God, and here's Satan, and then here are the angels that work for God, and here are the fallen angels that work for Satan called demons, and we think that it's a battle like this, and uh, it, that's not correct. <clears throat> See, here's the way it goes. There's God. He's alone up there. And he created angels at the next level, three of which, three, well, three of which were, were archangels, and there was Gabriel, and there was Michael, and then there was Lucifer. Lucifer is lower than God. Lucifer was created by God. Lucifer is also called Satan. They're not on the same plane. Satan is down here. On top of that, he's defeated. And the only place where Lucifer tries to act cool is in his lies to you or an ABC television show. And so those don't belong together. And I really like part of that question that says, can this still happen today but in a less dramatic way? It absolutely happens today in dramatic ways and definitely in less dramatic ways because the other extreme is that we don't believe that, that Satan is real. We don't really believe there's a spiritual realm. We don't believe there are demonic forces that are out to wreck our lives, our marriage, our calling, our everything. And so we miss out 
on what God's doing because the enemy wants us to not believe that he's even there or even doing anything. So here's, the, here's my point I'm trying to make about the question. We said, can this happen in a less dramatic way? Basically, here's what a lot of people in that extreme view of the spiritual world thinks. If their head spins around, there was a demon. If their head doesn't spin around, the devil's not real. Okay, but we can believe lies of the enemy. There's all kinds of deception. I'm going to go back to what Kent said a minute ago, Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but married people. Come on, married people. Your struggle, you think, is against flesh and blood. See, until you recognize what the enemy is doing in your life and in your communication and in your soul and in your hurts and in your unforgiveness and in all of that junk in here, until you recognize the enemy is working, uh, your spouse is the blame for everything, right? And then someday you figure out the enemy's working to mess them up, the enemy's working to mess you up, and nobody's head has to spin around. Demons are real. Yeah. We good with that? Can I just make one clarification? Because you said... Why did I say so? Yeah. Well, Clarify I anything I didn't right. say right. Yes. I just want to make sure, because you were going through the list, we don't believe this, we don't believe this, we don't believe this. I think you were mainly saying, as people, or as Americans, we don't believe this. But we as a church... Oh, yeah, we as a church... We believe that there is demonic activity. We believe there's yes. demonic attacks. Because okay. the Bible says so. Right. Yeah, I, was, we, I we just like wanted the Bible. to clarify that. Thank you for clarifying that. It's God, Americans. God way up here, like Jimmy said... Satan down here. Underneath our feet, right? According right. to Romans. Yeah. Right. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Where's Jesus, the Son? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Where's the Holy Spirit? There's your Trinity class theology lesson. Day. There you go. Right there. Check that out. God on the earth. God on the earth. Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. All right, so we're going to stay in that same vein uh, with this next question. It says, why is it that when I follow Christ, I'm always unhappy? Why is my life still falling apart? Why do I go home to a house that is so sad and empty? Where does God go? Why does it feel like he has completely abandoned me? Where is this almighty God? Uh, I think this follows the previous question appropriately. Uh, one of the things that, I think there are two words we need to address. Uh, the first word is perception, and the second word is reality. There's a perception that we all have. Sadly, our perception is not the same as reality. Our perception is based upon many things, and a lot of times there are lies in that. The enemy wants us to believe things that are not true about God. You want that last question, where is this almighty God? There's a whisper from the enemy in there. Where is that almighty God? The enemy wants you to perceive that God is not real. God is not there. God is not with you. God is not almighty. The enemy wants you to perceive that he's great. He's there. He's always around. And, and he makes more of himself and less of God. It's, it's lies. Our perception can quite often be based upon lies about the enemy and about God and about who he is. And then there's the difference. There's reality. And there's a reality that we bring broken things into our relationship with Jesus. We bring broken souls. We bring strongholds. We bring uh, former demonic activity, just to be honest. I mean, some of us have, have done some things that partnered with darkness, and we say, I'm following Jesus, and that's great. You're now going to heaven, but there's some work that has to be done in your soul. 
And so there's a reality that you may feel a, a distance from you and God. There's a reality that there may be something that feels absent when you walk into your house because maybe in that home you did some things that didn't glorify God before you started following Jesus. So there's, let me just back up and summarize those. So there's a perception that God is not there that's alive from the enemy because God is always there, right? And more importantly, let's go back to what we were just talking about that last question. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. It's not just whether or not yeah. he's in that house. He's inside you when you're on the porch and locking the door. That's right. He's with you. And there's a perception from the enemy called a lie that tells you God is abandoning you. God is not almighty. God is not great. That's a lie. But there is a reality that some of our sins and some of the junk in our soul that we haven't dealt with yet in the right way can, can cause a fellowship break. Does that make sense? It, it can cause us not to hear God's voice. It can cause us to feel as though he's not there even when he is. And so what I, I, I want to do a shameless plug for my life group here. We do a, a life group. My wife and I lead it every time. It's called Grow Spirit Life, and it focuses on who is the Holy Spirit and what is the, the spiritual help, the spiritual freedom. What we're talking about right here is spiritual freedom. Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have it abundantly. That means that the nightmares and the fear and the depression and the feeling like God is not there, that stuff goes away and you get healing in your soul from the junk that was there before we started following Jesus. And so in our life group, we talk about what it is like to experience that spiritual freedom. Uh, our life group does not start again until January, so I don't want you to wait on that. You've got three pastors, make an appointment, and, and let's begin working on what you need to do to get that spiritual freedom into your soul. So the reality, again, is that you may be losing or have lost some spiritual freedom, and we need to gain that ground back, and we can because Jesus died and rose again, so God is stronger. There you go. We can do this. But then there's a perception that the devil wants you to believe God left you. He's not strong, and he's not there. Don't let the lies dominate your life. Don't let the perception dominate your life. Let's deal with the reality. Uh, either just cast out the lies, say, Satan, get out, God's here, I'm good, or the reality that we need to actually deal with some things in your past. Anything else? I need to pray. You need to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show this person that wrote this question and anybody else in this room that has questions like this, your power. May they have an encounter with your power, God this week that changes their life and removes and helps them see through the lies jimmy was just talking about in jesus name i pray amen amen that's why he's a pastor look at that all right that's enough demon talk let's talk about marriages <laughs> this is fun uh, when your husband isn't a big pray out loud person and he's supposed to be the leader of the house is it okay for the wife to take charge? Hey, wife, woman, why don't you do that one? <laughs> take charge. Take, take charge, charge on that answer. Take charge on the answer. Um, I just wanted to um, say that, yes, I mean, I think this is a great question. And actually, we, we've seen several questions that we do see a lot in our offices. We do see a lot as we sit and talk with people. Because these are really, I mean, this is common questions. This is what people struggle with or wives are wondering and husbands are dealing with. So... I wanted, the first thing I wanted to say is that um, in the very beginning in creation, um, God, looked, God created Adam and he looked at Adam and it said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to create for you a helper. 
So right there at the very beginning of creation, wives were called to be the helper of their husbands. So in situations where we might see that our husbands are not leading um, in a place that we think they should lead, in a place that, you know, biblically maybe they should be leading, you know, whatever, that's, it's that whole perception again. You know, wife may perceive that her husband isn't leading the way he should because he's not doing X, Y, and Z the way she thinks mm-hmm. he should do X, Y, and Z. So I feel it's really, um, really important for wives to realize and to understand that we are called to be our husband's helper. Praying together out loud, honestly, is a very, um, you know, it's a difficult thing. It's an, it, it's, uh, somebody explained it to my husband and I um, before that it's, it's, it's a very intimate situation. Mm-hmm. It's more intimate than almost a physical relationship can be with your spouse. For a wife, we sometimes may tend to be a little bit more emotionally sensitive. We may be a little bit more spiritually sensitive. We may not have a problem saying, hey, husband, let's pray. And her husband's taking a big, deep gulp and saying, oh, my goodness, what does she want me to do? Am I going to do it right? I think, too, we may have some situations in our, in our marriages that, you know, maybe the wife has um, gone out and led in some areas that maybe she really shouldn't have been leading. Maybe she, maybe she led very forcefully. Maybe she kind of bulldozed her husband. So now he's thinking, I'm not going to step out and I'm not going to pray. That's pretty scary. That's pretty, that's very vulnerable. So I will, I do want to say that, you know, we are called to be a helper. If you are the one that's a strong prayer, that doesn't mean your husband's not leading right if he's not going to pray. I also think it's very important to have a really great conversation with your husband. Let him know how you feel. Let him know what, what would really bless you. Let him know what would really please you in a non-condemning, very respectful, very loving way in telling him that this is what I really, this is what I would really like. But I don't think if a woman is praying that she should sit back with her arms crossed waiting for her husband to lead in that area. Yeah. So hey, let me, let me add a, a couple of things here. Please do. Um, ladies, uh, Physical intimacy is is very intimate. It has to be emotionally connected to that. Uh, for men, spiritual intimacy is is almost equivalent to the physical intimacy on that emotional yeah, connection. Yeah. And so, ladies, I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons your your husband may not be praying. Um, sometimes they've they've been shut down, and and just as a woman who's been shut down emotionally tends to not want to be physical with her husband. When a husband has been shut down either by remarks or uh, just a lack of respect or something, it causes him not to want to be spiritually intimate, um, and especially uh, if there's just that, that disconnect there. So uh, the only thing I would caution against is uh, there's a difference between nagging and helping. <laughs> Absolutely. They did not like when I said no, that. That's very true. There's a difference between <laughs> nagging and helping, and so... Um, nagging is, why don't you pray? Why don't you lead us in prayer? You should be praying, you know. But helping is, hey, is now a good time to sit down and pray? And even being the one that goes first. Look, I'm a pastor, and I think maybe the hardest thing I ever had to do, well, the top two, I'm not sure which was it, but the hardest two things I've ever had to do in marriage was say I'm sorry and pray with my wife. <laughs> Y'all could have laughed yeah. at that. There you go. And uh, so anyway, uh, ladies, let me, let me also pull back the curtain a little bit on why some more reasons that are better reasons why the husband may not be praying. Uh, for one, stereotypically, women are emotionally more sensitive, but they're also spiritually more sensitive. As you're, they're more spiritually aware. 
And it's also possible that you've been walking with Jesus longer or you are more mature um, and your spirituality is more expressive. Uh, I, I really walked with a guy for a long time. He'd been a Christian his whole life, but his wife was a fall on her knees, cry every time there was a worship song, lift her hands. He was a Marine uh, and he loved God with all of his heart, but he didn't cry when he thought about God. And he just said, I wish I could be more spiritual like my wife. And it, it took a long time to help him understand he was as spiritual. It just didn't display in that way. Well, here's the problem. Most men think that. And so what happens is, is when we view you as the spiritual expert, the spiritual leader, the truth is most men are intimidated by their wives because they think their wives are better prayers they know God better, they hear God's voice better, and uh, most men don't like to come in second. And, and so we don't want to sit down and pray where we know you're going to pray better than us. And so the truth is, uh, for many men in this room, uh, they're intimidated by you. And so give them space, give them grace, and help by saying, hey, let's pray. And you pray. And uh, whatever he prays is great, and if he doesn't pray the first time, then Give him another shot and give him another shot and keep giving him space because, again, most of the time, the wife is, is perceived by most every man I've ever talked to as, as being uh, more spiritual. Uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, our founding pastor, Jerry Daly, uh, preached. And, and the reason I'm going to bring that up is because of something he said that I've never, ever forgotten. Uh, when he started this church, he was always on us, brother, are you praying with your wife? Are you praying with your wife, brother? You know, that all the time he'd ask. And no. And it's so scary. And, and so his first church that he started was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And that's where all of the special ops are based out of, Delta Force, those kind of guys. And he would explain to us how he would pastor these Delta Force guys that have no problem jumping out of an airplane where bullets are already flying, where there's not a good chance they're going to live through this. And they've got no problem just jumping into that. But when he would say, no, go home and pray for your wife, they're like, oh, I can't pray with my wife, I'm so scared. You know, wait a minute, you can jump out of an airplane with bullets. Yes, exactly. And I think part of it is because of a spiritual heritage that we inherited. You see, back in the beginning, you referred to the beginning. Well, also what happened in the beginning was Eve was less, left to fight a spiritual battle by herself while her husband was, I don't even know what he was doing, but they didn't have TV, but he was just sitting around doing nothing. And so letting women lead spiritually is something we've inherited that we have to overcome. And so leading our wives spiritually, because I think it was inherited, honestly, there's a piece of that there, uh, we have to overcome that, and that is difficult for us. And so the easier you can make it, instead of saying, why don't you lead us in prayer? That's not going to make it easy, nor is it going to make it encouraging. But if you say, hey, hey, can we sit down and pray for a few minutes? And if he prays something stupid, don't go, that's a dumb prayer. You know what I mean? That's not going to, just grace, grace. Make it easy because chances are he's scared to death and he thinks you're more spiritual than he is. And so make it easy um, in that sense. But here, now guys, let me talk to you guys, okay? Most of us, if someone burst through our front door, you would not put your wife in front of you and go, take her. No, most of us would push our wives and children aside and we would happily take the bullet or die defending or whatever the case is. So, because that's what men do, right? Yeah. Is there a hua in the room? Come on. Hua. All right. So if you want to be men, here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Just do it. Be strong. It's like, you know, when, when the, somebody dares you to jump into like a freezing cold pond and 
Well, you know, a man doesn't back down from a dare, right? So you just cannonball in it. What do you do? You just take a deep breath and you jump and you don't think about it again because if you think about it again, you're going to realize how cold that water is, how stupid this dare is, and how your manhood really doesn't depend on this, and you'll walk away. But no, you're not going to give it time to do that. You take a deep breath and you cannonball into the frozen pool, right? Right. So just take a deep breath and pray. Just go. Just yeah. do it. Just cannonball into praying with your wife. Yeah. Act like men. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I had a man by a service company. He told me, I was sitting beside my wife when you said that. I was like, most were. He's like, yeah, well, that's going to be tough for me. I'm going to have to cook lunch now. <laughs> it's like, just pray, man. Anyway. We offer a life group for married couples called Love and Respect that I highly recommend. It addresses a lot of this type of thing. A lot of, it, it's probably going to address some of this next question, too. Uh, how do I abide in Jesus to fulfill my need for a physical relationship? I have not had sex with my spouse in years. Now, the reason that we included this question this morning is honestly because it might be the most common, one of the most common things we have all dealt with as a pastor. Every one of us has had appointments. And when you first start pastoring, I was a little shocked by how often I addressed this question. Were you guys? I was shocked. Yeah. It's, shocked. Super common. So what do you say when you encounter this? You want to go first? Okay. <laughs> I get to go first. Uh, well, there, there is what God says in the Scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, um, which refers to uh, setting some time aside from each other uh, to pray and then agreeing to come back together but that's the unusual that's not the norm uh, but there are a lot of reasons why we encounter this problem as in, a, in our society and around us so it's not just that simple and I'll let the wiser ones speak to the why part of that <laughs> question <laughs> you just got promoted now you got to answer the wiser one so I would say again communication obviously um, is, is, is huge in a relationship. I think there's probably, um, like we said, that by the time somebody has come to talk with us and they haven't had a physical relationship with their spouse and it's been years, you know, if you're in that situation and it's been, you know, several weeks or a few months and you're just wondering, is this normal, is this okay, that's the time to come in and talk with us. But if you are in a place where it has been years, and you're just not sure where to go from here, I would definitely say definitely come in and have a conversation with us, but there's probably some major yep. deep um, issues, yep. very major deep um, hurts, whether it was infidelity, whether it was, you know, um, you know, an emotional hurt, a physical, who knows what the reason is. I think the gamut is just very long as yep. far as what could create that. Because, again, the enemy is going to come in. We'll get right back to what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy's trying to destroy something that God said is good and God is what is wanting to put together. So however he can do that, he's going to do it. He gets in there, he plants a seed, and that seed grows into a, to a situation where you're looking at your spouse and you're saying, I don't even know who you are. I don't even want to be with you. You don't even want to be with me. We'll just hang out until, you know, the end of days and, and this is how it's going to be. But that's really not what God designed. God designed a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife because it creates a very significant bond. 
between a husband and wife. And when that bond is not there, the enemy can get in and do all kinds of stuff, but it's also not honoring God, really, when that bond isn't there. But go ahead and talk about that bond, because I know you... I want to touch on a couple of words you said. You said uh, normal, and I, I want to make sure we understand this is not normal, right. but it is common. But right. It is common that something is broken. Things are broken in our relationship. Right. And what happens quite often is people then try to just grab a few scriptures and throw it in their spouse's face. Like they, they quote right. 1 Corinthians 7. Well, we're not fasting, so you owe this to me as well as scripture that talks about the husband's body is not his own but his wife's and the wife's body is not her own but her husband and they just try to throw that in but there is a reason that something broke something broke in the relationship and that does need to get fixed before you just throw scripture at them and tell them uh, to get their act together there was either an emotional hurt there was a sin there was an immorality there was an adultery there was pornography there was emotional abuse there was just the way that you talk to each other to where you you almost seared each other's sensitivity or tenderness i mean you've just hurt something somewhere and there's also scripture before you throw that scripture in their faces there's also scripture about needing to repent and needing to confess and needing to forgive and needing to to be healed i mean there's so much that needs to get involved in that and you know one of the you said when they come into our office but please come sooner can i just ask please come sooner i mean like god is almighty but i have found myself thinking as i'm listening to people sometimes jesus couldn't even help you you know, I mean, and by that, I mean, you wait until you've reached, of course, Jesus can help you, but you, you wait until, well, don't come see me because I sure can't help you. Here's my point. I had a couple come one time and uh, they were just in, so unresponsive to anything I was saying, whatever I was talking about. And I just stopped. I'd never done this before in a marriage session. I was like, do you guys even want this to work? And he said, well, I just came from the divorce attorney. And she said, well, my boyfriend's helping me move out on Friday. And I said, then get out of my office. <laughs> I did, literally. I mean, y- y'all know me by now. I was like, why are you, why'd you wait until now to come and ask for help? Don't wait until it's been years. There is something that is broken and we can help make it right. Jesus can fix this. But yeah, like you said, when it's been weeks, I mean, look, when it's been weeks, it's time to have a conversation. Months, you're past due. Make an appointment soon. I mean, let's, let's deal with this. And uh, while we've got young people in the room, all the single people, I want to point out something. Uh, we encourage, because of Scripture, because of God's design for humanity and sexuality, we encourage you not to have sex outside of marriage. And the reason is incredibly simple. Uh, scripture teaches us and experience proves it out that a physical connection with someone creates a spiritual and emotional glue. I have preached this before that sex is glue in a marriage. That's why we are not supposed to do this before marriage because we become glued to someone. It's called a soul tie. And if you've ever tried to rip apart two things that were glued together, you know that they never come apart clean again. Glue two pieces of wood and try to rip them back apart. It it breaks. And so then as people do begin to enter into a marriage relationship, we've got to go and fix all of those cracks. I mean, the Holy Spirit can heal and Jesus fixes things. And it's great, the restorative power of God, but it's better if we don't have to restore and fix and, and, and 
put back what's been broken by the wrong kind of glue and all that sort of stuff. But here's my point. As we encourage single people and teenagers over and over and over, do not create this glue until you are, are together with that one person and you're glued in marriage. And don't do that. And then someone gets married and they don't use the glue. It's, it makes no sense. This is God's idea. Sex is not an extra. It creates a spiritual and emotional bond that helps everything else go well. And so you need this glue in your marriage. If you're not having sex, you are also just struggling in many other areas. I can already tell you that. That's not the only fight you're having. That is not the only place where you feel disconnected because you are leaving out the very glue that you need. So uh, it, it's crazy. We can't get single people not to have sex, and we can't get married people to have sex. <laughs> well, I'm going to go on before I get in more trouble. We'll get out of that mess by talking about tithing. Doesn't that there sound like, go. that's got to be easier than this one. We had multiple questions along this line. Uh, I pay my tithe with a given and glad heart. Good job. Yet I continue to have financial trouble. Uh-oh. Why? What am I doing wrong? We also had multiple questions about uh, my family's not blessed. Do we understand scripture wrong? Why aren't we blessed? Why aren't we experiencing what God wants for us? And uh, I don't even know that that one was all uh, related to finances. It could be related to many things, talking about just not always experiencing God's blessing. So look, I'm going to just, just this is as common sense as it gets. Uh, yes, if you tithe, God promises a blessing. But God's blessings can also be swallowed up by our lack of wisdom. There, I got a small amen. That, that should have been a lot <laughs> Uh, we, we do other things. You see, God's word does tell us to honor him with the first 10% called tithing and he'll bless us and, and take care of us. But his word also says other things like be generous and don't be greedy and uh, live within your means. Uh, scripture teaches that concept and scripture tells us how bad it is to be in debt. So here's what happens. Uh, it goes like this. You tithe, God blesses, you get a bonus out of the blue and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And your spouse goes, great. So we can pay for what I put on the credit card last week. You don't even notice that you got a blessing because it's too busy being swallowed up by your lack of wisdom somewhere else. So think about it this way. If you tithe and then you're in debt and then you're not very generous to your neighbor who's poor and you don't have a budget and whatever else we want to add, I don't know. And, and, and so the, the natural consequences of all four of these, they just swallow up the blessing. God's blessing you. You don't even get to feel it. You don't even get to experience it because there's a lack of wisdom in some other way. And so I just want to point out there is more to experiencing the blessings of God and living according to God's ways than just doing one thing right, doing everything else wrong, and hoping that that one thing overrides everything else. It just doesn't work that way. Does that make sense? So if you want to experience the blessings of God, get one thing right, then get another, and then get another. You know, love your spouse, honor people, forgive, be generous, tithe. I mean, it all goes together. You can't just do one thing and think God ignores the lack of wisdom in other areas, especially finances. Um, the scripture is real clear. The borrower is slave to the lender. So you can tithe, but if you keep spending more today than you make, uh, it, it's not going to feel like you're very blessed. You're going to feel behind and broke all the time, no matter how many blessings you get. So, I mean, my wife and I did that for so many years. We've taught a lot of finance stuff, and we've told you our story. Uh, we've reached a point probably about a decade into our marriage where we were two and a half years in debt, and that was not counting houses. 
that was just cars and clothes and Outback Steakhouse and stuff like that, you know? How do you get two and a half years salary ahead of yourself? How do you do that? And we would get these bonuses out of the blue, but they were, all, they were gone before the, I mean, it was like, wow. And we never felt blessed because every blessing was just already, there's like a vacuum cleaner, just sucking them up, you know, sound effects anyway, whatever. How about Financial Peace University? That's a life group we'll recommend. Budget. Spend what you got, not what you think you're going to get. Those are good, good ideas. All right, anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Somebody's yeah. going to be mad at me. Yeah. Why is God referred to as a he? Why, if not she, can't God be spoken about in they, them pronouns? Okay, so, <laughs> um, well, one thing, we, we do have discussions like when we were preparing our questions and stuff, and something that when this question popped up, I was just like, well, isn't that what Jesus calls him? Um, several times in scriptures, you know, my father, um, in, you know, um, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. So there's several, several, several different areas where Jesus is referring to his father, which of course is male, so therefore I think it's very typically traditionally traditional to refer to him as male. I mean, even in um, several places in Mark, in Romans, and Galatians, um, I think Paul and Jesus both refer to um, God as Abba, Father, which is very you know masculine. It's that means daddy. It's again, it's a very masculine, very. Um, um, the pronoun would be he in those areas. But also understanding that God's going to give us what we can understand and what we can um, tangibly, you know, hold on to. He's not going to tell us, well, he does tell us over and over, that he, he's not human. He's outside of human um, God, God is spirit. God is a spirit, right. So I think in my, in my reading, it's so we can attach something to him. We can understand and we can recognize and we can call him he. Yes. It would be kind of hard is, you know, how would you even say our father, my father, um, yeah, so without the, using the proper pronoun? I don't since know. you're going there, the fancy right. theological word is anthropomorphism. It is where right. we put human characteristics on God in order to relate to him and understand him. And so scripture talks about the hand of the Lord or the eye of the Lord. He doesn't have a hand or an eye. God is spirit. So he doesn't have the physical anatomy that we have. So when we think, you know, God being a he or a she, we think like a choice between the two of them. And it's neither because scripture is very clear. It says, God said, let us make man in our image, male and female. He made them male and female together is God's image. God is not male nor female. So the, his choice of being called father, that was his idea. That was his choice. But the attributes that we have outside of the physical difference that he made men and women with, the attributes we have, there's a stereotypical male and there's a stereotypical female. And there's a reason there are stereotypes because most of the time that's the way it works out. It's not saying that it has to be that way, but typically men are, are going to be more justice and they're going to be ready to throw lightning bolts at the kids. That's their side of God's nature. And typically women are more merciful and they're the one deflecting the lightning bolts so the kids grow up and leave the house someday, you know? And, and God puts two together so that there's a mercy to balance the justice and a justice to balance the mercy. And then we just get 
get into marriage fights and end up in the counseling office because we're, they're not like me. There's something wrong with my spouse. No, they're the other part of God's attributes balancing out the part where you are. And, and that's why the two become one and we reflect God's nature together. So, you know, the whole pronoun sort of thing, which pronoun do we use? Uh, separate that from the idea is God male or female. God is neither. God is God. God is neither. Males have part of God's attributes. Females have part of God's attributes together that we come closer to representing what God's whole is. But what, what I do want to touch on here, if I can just go ahead and jump in the deep end of the pool and see how many emails I can get this week. The, the real question here is identity. So here, here's the problem. Um, we were all over 40. And when we got this question, we're like, what? And uh, if you're in the room right now and you're over 40 and you don't spend much time on social media, you're like, what, what is this question even about? But anybody who is under 30 is going, yes, this is a huge issue. And the reason for that is because what pronoun you apply to yourself is one of the largest discussions in the younger world today. And I just want to say this, identity is under attack. Every generation has something that's the big thing for them that they are wrestling with and struggling with in terms of God and humanity and everything. Every generation has had something. In this generation, what you are, are the struggle is where's the identity? And all I'm going to say so that I try not to get in too much trouble is God has given identity. God gave himself an identity. He's the one that chose to be called father. And God has given you an identity. The enemy would love for us to mess with identity and to not know our identity and to not be able to connect to that. But I, I want you to know God has established identity. And then I'm going to get my foot out of that water before I get in more trouble. Yeah. Okay, so let's see here. We've talked about demons, marriage, sex, identity, gender, uh, let's just do politics and we can end the day, right? Perfect. It's the only thing we haven't touched on. Here we go. Last yes. question of the day. What is the church's stance on politics and the church? Uh, well, Grace Life is officially registered libertarian. Isn't that correct? Is that what? Yeah. First service, I thought that was funny. Uh, well, just so you know, we're not associated with any party. There you go. This person says, I visited a church in another state and the pastor stated everyone needed to vote for whichever candidate was against abortion. I later heard that that church had a local politician come in and speak on why they should all vote for him. Um, first of all, I'll just point out what that church did was illegal um, and they could lose their status uh, here in the United States of America and lose their ability to preach the word of God because of that. And personally, I like preaching. I like my job. I like my kids and I like not being behind bars. So that would be the secondary reason we don't do this. The primary reason that we, uh, well, let me answer the question. Then I'll say the reason well, we, we don't do politics. Is that okay? Uh, and the second reason, the reason, thank you, the reason for that is because we have a very short window, and I'm in trouble because I just crossed that window like three minutes ago, but we, we've got a brief window. It's about an hour, and every week we say, so what are we going to do? In order, I've got a lot to say this week. Can we cut that song a little bit short? Can we leave out a chorus? And, and if we leave out a chorus, I don't know. What, man, that song is going to make it this week. The song is everything. Can we, somebody talk fast over communion. Let, let's, you know, let's get to Jesus fast kind of thing. It, it, we only have a little bit of time to make much of Jesus. I don't have time to be a Republican or a Democrat in this room. There, there's, not, there's not time. 
I do understand that some of you right now are cringing because you're going, but wait a minute, this person was asking about values, yes. And so what I want to do is make much of God. I want to teach you what his word says. I want to explain to you what the values of the Bible are and tell us, let's go live that. And then I'm gonna leave you to be a responsible adult to connect what this word says with how you should vote. But I'm not gonna stand here and put a person up because... People are people on both sides of the fence and and in any party. And and so we just don't have time. And I have been thanked more than I've been criticized. I literally had somebody come to me after last service and said, I want you to know our story. When we started coming to Grace Life, which for them was uh, about two and a half years ago, whenever the last big election was, they said, we came in October and we were looking for a church that would talk about God more than the presidential election. And they're here today because we want to talk more about God than any election. Look, if you want to know about the election, go look at the news. It's all over there. Uh, This is a time for God. And so that's why we leave politics to uh, outside. We've all got values, and and we're going to leave it at that. Because in this room, we're here to worship God. And uh, I don't know if I just got in more trouble or not. Did I get Was that good? I'm glad you think it was good. Good stuff. All right, well, hey, everybody, as we said, we had hundreds of questions. We couldn't do them all, and we're out of time. We didn't even do all that we wanted to do today. We're just literally out of time. I hope you enjoyed this series. We'll be back for a great new series we're excited about. I'll be preaching again next week. And uh, so thank you so much for being a part of this. These are online. Uh, If you want to go back and look at any part of them or, or share them with a friend that you've been having a debate with them about something that's there. So right now, uh, we're not done. We're going to invite the worship team back out and uh, you guys have a great day. We want to thank you so much for joining us today during our Q&A series. These sessions will be online for you to watch again or share with others. Visit our message archive online or on our app at gracelife.church and check out our YouTube channel by searching Grace Life Church Columbia. Our desire is to give you online content that will help you know God and grow spiritually. Thank you so much for being a part of today's service, and we hope to see you again next week. One of the things that's so important to us during this time is that you find out who God is, and you find out how much He loves you, and you know what He's done for you. And so that's why every week we take time to do what we're doing right now, and that is to help you understand that you need to embrace the gift of eternal life. We, we all have to reach out and do this. You see, there's, there's a misunderstanding in the world. Some of us believe because Jesus died for the sins of the world, he died for humanity, that as long as we're a part of humanity, we're good. We're just, we're in the us. He died for us and we're part of us and, and I'll be okay. But that's actually not the way the Bible says it. See, the way this works is he did die for us But at some point in our lives, we actually have to reach out and take that free gift and say, thank you that you died for me. I want to make you my Lord and Savior. We have to make that exchange at some point. Well, some of us have never done it. Maybe it's because you've never thought about it. Maybe it's because you're the person that's just thought, well, I'm in the us. I'm good to go. I'll just, when I get to heaven, say Jesus died for us, right? Whatever the reason is, if today is the day where you want to reach out, and you wanna cross the corridors of time. See, it's funny, just as you do this, you stretch out your hand and you go back 2,000 years and as Jesus is hanging on the cross, you look him in the face and you say, thank you for dying for me. Now I wanna live for you. 
If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. The good news is I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and come down front just right where you are. I'm going to help you begin a conversation with him. Would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I do want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.